All right. Well, I'm Pastor Jason. I get the opportunity to serve as the adult ministry pastor here at Friendship. And uh, in our first service, Pastor Kenny, after this video, um, mentioned that if you see Pastor Art and you're interested in the coffee cup ministry, make sure to ask him if you get a coffee cup with it. Um, you'll be in on an inside joke with him. So hopefully you can help us out with that. Um, so ask Pastor Art if you can get a coffee cup. Or more seriously, if you want to be involved with the ministry, I guess that's what we should be talking about, is uh, being involved with the ministry. So you can reach out to Pastor Art about that. Um, but he's done a great job with caring for those in our congregation and now building a team uh, that will help to continue to care for uh, needs, physical needs and emotional needs as they come up. And so we'd love to have you serve in that way if the Lord is calling you to that. We've got something really exciting happening here. That's this. These are our new uh, Friendship Church Bibles. They're the ESV translation, which is what we've been preaching out of. And we've got them in the back there uh, where it says free Bibles right under there. If you need a Bible for this morning, you are welcome to go grab one. If you need a Bible for life, you are welcome to take one home. It's our gift to you. And even if you have a neighbor or somebody who needs a Bible, uh, you are more than welcome to grab one and deliver it to that person. We, just, we ask that if you're going to give a Bible to somebody, um, that you don't just plan to do it, but you actually, when you, when you take it, you actually deliver it to someone, all right? That makes sense? Yeah. So that's our ESV translation. Uh, they just came in this last week. So we wanted to make note of that. Um, and again, yeah, if you need one... Uh, Feel free to grab one back there. We're going to be pretty uh, heavily in the text this morning, um, and we won't really have the text on the screen. So uh, if you have your Bibles or if you have your uh, devices, feel free to open up to Romans chapter 15. We're going to be starting in verse 8. Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 8. You can get yourselves there. I'll kind of be directing our attention um, to that as we work through what Paul has to say for us this morning. But if, if you've been with us uh, for the last several weeks, you know that we've been walking through the final chapters of the book of Romans. And if you've been paying attention, you may have noticed that in a lot of these uh, sermons about the last chapters here in Romans, we keep pointing back to Romans chapter 12, specifically verses 1 and 2, because that kind of is the crux of everything that we see at the end of Romans. So in the first 11 chapters of Romans, the Apostle Paul uh, highlighted what the gospel really is. He, he talked extensively about God's righteousness and his judgment being revealed to all people. God's righteousness is revealed in his, in his wrath, that's true, but even more so, uh, it's revealed in his grace. As, as Romans 5 puts it for us, that while we were still sinners, and therefore deserving of God's righteous wrath, Christ died for us, an act of grace that if we receive by faith makes us alive to God. This is the gospel that Paul explains in the first 11 chapters of Romans. And after Paul finishes this explanation, he gives us Romans 12, verses 1 to 2, as kind of the major response. How do we respond to God's grace? I'll reread us Romans 12, 1. What Paul says there is, I appeal to you, 
So in view of the mercies of God, everything that we just talked about, the gospel, what Jesus has done for us, I appeal to you in view of those mercies to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then the rest of the book of Romans, where we find ourselves in this series, identifies different ways in which we can respond to God by offering ourselves to him. Because to offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God is a pretty general command. And so what Paul does from there on out in the rest of chapter 12 and all of chapter 13 uh, and into chapter 14 and now 15, Paul identifies, here's what that looks like. Here's what it means to offer yourself to God. Here's what that means in relation, chapter 13, to submission to authorities. Here's what that means as you love one another. Here's what that means when it comes to disputable matters, chapter 14. Now this morning, chapter 15, here's what that means as it relates to sharing the gospel with other people. Uh, in this passage, uh, we're going to be looking at Romans 15, verses 8 to the end of, of uh, chapter 15 to verse 33. We're going to see Paul talking about his work of sharing the gospel, his ministry of, of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. And what's going to become apparent is that those transformed by the gospel keep the gospel central as we preach the gospel. Yes, it's, it's a mouthful to keep saying gospel, gospel, gospel. But that's, that's what Paul's getting at here. Uh, he uses the word fill and fulfill several times in this section to talk about the gospel filling us up and, and the work of the gospel being filled up. Because those who are transformed by the gospel, Romans 12, uh, keep the gospel central as we preach the gospel. And what we're going to see is keeping the gospel central will allow us to do four different things. And uh, right before we jump into the text and right before we jump into that, I'd love for you to pray with me as we hear from God's word. God, thank you so much for this morning. We pray that as we open up your word and, and read what you have given us, we pray that you would give us hearts that are set on you, hearts that are not distracted, hearts that are ready and willing and able to receive the truths that you have for us, not just intellectually, but truths that can transform our hearts and transform our lives. We trust that your word can do this, Holy Spirit. We trust that you are here and that you are able to give us eyes to see uh, ears to hear, and hearts that truly understand and that become transformed by your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So keeping the gospel central will allow us, first, to see how the gospel transcends all human categories. I'm going to read for us the beginning of this section, Romans 15, verses 8 and 9. Here's what Paul says. He says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. And then Paul goes on to quote four Old Testament passages where uh, he talks about this principle. And the principle is this. Uh, it, it may not be abundantly clear from here, but the principle is this, that, that Christ uh, became a servant to the circumcised. So he became a, a servant to the Jews. 
So the people of Israel had this promise, had these promises from God uh, initially to Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you may be a blessing. I'm going to make you a great nation, right? And he continues this promise to David saying that somebody is going to sit on the throne of Israel for forever and rule not Israel but the entire world. So, so there are these promises that are given to the patriarchs. And Paul says that Christ Jesus came to fulfill those promises that were given to the people of Israel. But Paul goes on to say, but he also came and was the fulfillment of those promises in verse 9 in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And that's where we pull this first principle of seeing how the gospel transcends all human categories. And like I said, Paul then goes on to quote uh, four different passages from scripture that show This was never just about the Israelites. This was never just about uh, God's people being set apart to stay set apart. From the beginning, he came to Abraham and said, I'm going to bless you so that you would be a blessing, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's always been God's plan. And Paul actually pulls from the three major divisions of Scripture as he quotes different things. He, he pulls from the Pentateuch, from the book of Deuteronomy. He pulls from the book of Psalms. He pulls from the prophets. So you've got the Pentateuch, the prophets, and the writings. Paul p- pulls from all of those to show that the totality of Scripture has always pointed to the gospel being bigger than merely God's physical people. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's, he's using that to show us that the gospel transcends these categories. The gospel is the fulfillment of the Jewish promises, yes. But Paul demonstrates, again, that it is so that the patriarchs can receive the promises that God made, so the truthfulness of God is put on display, and God's mercy, how great God's mercy is, can be expanded beyond just his people to the entire world, and God would be glorified for that mercy. Keeping the gospel central allows us to see how the gospel, how God's plan has always transcended human categories. For the Jews at this time, and we saw this, if you were here in, in chapter 14, the temptation would be to take particular issues and say, well, uh, what about observing certain Jewish holy days? Or what about observing, how, how strict do we need to be in observing the Jewish purity laws and, and meat that's been sacrificed to idols? Uh, what, what do we do with that? And Paul is still kind of answering that question by saying, keep the gospel central. Don't, don't make those things the central point. See, there were conservative Jews in this time that, that were angry with Paul. And, and some of them even wanted to kill Paul because he was preaching this message that said, uh, you, can, you can receive the Jewish, the Jewish Messiah without becoming Jewish. You didn't need some of the distinctively Jewish things to, to become a part of the people of God. And that was just heresy to some people. Even some conservative Jewish Christians, those who were claiming the Lord Jesus and, and had very strong Jewish ties, they were still elevating the distinctively Jewish nature of it Almost to the point where that was more important than the grace of God. Almost to the point where that was more important than the work that Christ has done. And what Paul is saying is, no, we've got to keep the gospel central because that allows us to transcend these categories and not be, 
not become scandalized when other converts who don't look like us and don't think like us and don't act like us claim the name of Jesus and follow him and receive his grace. If we don't keep the gospel central, we're elevating something else to that place of the gospel. And when we do that, we start to uh, put a put guidelines on people that don't exist. We start to put a litmus test out there that says, yeah, 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 you need God's grace, but you also need to look Jewish. Yeah, 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 you need God's grace, but you also need to look the way that we think you need to look. Because in our day and age, we don't really face this issue of uh, Jew and Gentile division as much. Nowhere near as much as they faced it back then. But but for us, it it may be easy for us to uh, implicitly think well, a Christian should uh, look like this, or a Christian should vote this way, or a Christian should definitely never do this, or definitely never do that, and we start to apply a standard on others that doesn't keep the gospel central, but it's actually elevating the standard that we want to apply. But Paul's already said that the gospel is the power of God to salvation for all who believe, and he, he said it all the way in chapter 1, First to the Jew and then to the Gentile, to everybody. It transcends any human distinctions that we make because the gospel itself is what saves. The gospel itself is what defines not any other distinction that we may want to make. The gospel is for all people of all backgrounds, people of all political views. It's for the adulterer and the stand-up husband or father. It's for the drunkard and the teetotaler. It's, it's for the felon and the law-abiding citizen. God is glorified because of his mercy that he desires to extend to all, not just to the people that we're predisposed to think would, would receive God's grace. I don't know about you, but it's easy to get into that type of thinking Maybe with our mouths, we would never say out loud, well, this type of person won't really receive God's grace. Or that type of person, gospel's not really for them. Probably most of us in this room would never really explicitly say that. But what about our hearts? What about the way that we view people? What about that, that really difficult individual who might be antagonistic to your faith? What about that political group of people that, that we care more about their demise than we do about their salvation. Wouldn't that say that we are elevating distinctions here on earth above the gospel? And that's what Paul is trying to teach us here and show us here to check our hearts on if the gospel is remaining central if God's grace and his mercy and extending that to others is remaining central, or if we are elevating something else to that place. Are there people in your life that you, again, maybe not explicitly, but in your heart, have written off? Maybe not on purpose, but in some ways you may believe that they're too far from God's grace and mercy or or. For some reason, they, you don't need to extend it to them. Or, or maybe you think that they need to change something before they can come to the Lord. I'm sure glad that's not how it works. That Jesus receives us as we are. And yes, he calls us to repentance absolutely after we receive him. Not before. 
He doesn't call. We don't need to change anything before we encounter the Lord. Yes, when we encounter him, he changes everything. But I ask you this morning, are there people in your life that you're treating them as if, well, they're, they're not hitting this thing. They're not following this standard. And until they do that, they won't know the Lord. That's wrong. The gospel transcends all human categories and distinctions. And keeping the gospel central in our hearts and in our lives allows us to see that and genuinely live that. Keeping the gospel central also allows us to preach the gospel to fellow believers. It allows us to encourage one another and to build up the church. And we see this in verses 14 to 16. Romans 15, starting in verse 14. Paul says to the Roman believers, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Paul tells them there, you're because you're full of goodness, because the gospel is, is remaining central for you, you're able to instruct one another. Because he's confident of their faith. He's confident that the Holy Spirit is alive in their midst. Paul, Paul is almost saying, like, you don't need me. This is one of Paul's longest letters that he's written. And he's saying, well, you guys can instruct one another. I'm confident that you're able to do it. At the risk of giving up any job security that I have, church, you don't need me. Okay? And I'll speak for Pastor Kenny. I don't even know if he's in the room this time, so even better. You don't need him. Okay? <laughs> Anybody that teaches from God's word derives any authority, derives any fruit from the risen Lord Jesus at work in the Holy Spirit as he applies those words. We are all vessels that the Lord can choose to use. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying the power doesn't reside in a person, in a, in a particular charisma. The power resides in the gospel it is the power of salvation to all who believe. The gospel, not an individual. The gospel itself. The Holy Spirit who empowers. And that's what Paul is saying here. That when we keep that message central, that it's not about us, it's about what Christ has done, that enables each and every one of us to preach the gospel to each other and encourage one another. Now, it allows us to instruct each other, and it's true in a lot of different ways that we can instruct one another, but I want to point out two ways that this is particularly true, that keeping the gospel central allows us to instruct one another. The first way is this. Simply, if we are keeping the gospel central in our lives, if it is, if it is the thing that defines who we are and what we do, if we are allowing the work of Jesus Christ to transform our minds and transform our hearts and transform our actions then that equips us and enables us to share with one another what God is doing in our lives. And that in itself instructs one another on God's grace and on what the gospel does. In Ephesians, Paul writes about 
the manifold wisdom of God being put on display within the church. And what he's getting at is almost saying that each and every person in this room who has received Jesus Christ has a unique story of grace, a unique way that God's grace took shape and form in your life. And that's different from mine, that's different from yours. And so when we share about how God's grace is transforming our lives and transforming our hearts, we are instructing one another. We are broadening each other's view of how the gospel works and what it means and what it transforms us from and the type of thinking that we used to have and how that has been replaced with gospel thinking, the type of actions that we used to have and how that's been replaced with gospel actions. We're able to instruct one another on God's grace. It deepens our understanding of what God does and what his grace means. And it encourages us. We talk about lake baptisms. That's a place where we will be instructed and encouraged on God's grace when people share their testimonies of what God has done to bring transformation in their life. It's a new story every single time. And so if you are considering being baptized, we would love to have you there. And we would love for you to instruct us on God's grace and how he has worked out in your life keeping the gospel central in our lives and letting it permeate all that we do allows us to encourage one another with what God is doing in our lives. It allows us to instruct one another. It allows us to instruct one another in another way as well. Because in order to instruct one another, the people that are being instructed need to be able to receive that instruction. We live in a culture where you need to know everything. That, would people agree with that? Does anyone, does anyone ever feel that pressure or is that just me? Maybe it's just me because I want to be a know-it-all. We live in this culture where you need to know certain things. You need to know what's going on in the world around you. You need to know certain facts. You need, you need to know, uh, I mean, you need to go do your own research about everything. We live in a culture where because of the amount of information that we have access to and the way that we can access it, there is a pressure to not let other people know that you don't know something. There's a pressure to try to be read up on everything. I, I saw this, ah, this woman who was in seminary at this Dutch Reformed seminary, and she would do this, I guess you could call it maniacal thing with some of her friends that were guys at this seminary, she would make up these, these like Dutch-sounding names that weren't real. And then she would text a guy and fellow brother in seminary and say, oh, have you heard of uh, Zinzin van Dorfenfel's view on, you know, the, the Trinity? What do you think about it? And they'd respond like, I haven't read much of him, but from what I've read, that, that, you know, it doesn't surprise me that he's going that way. Huh. Yeah. And so she'd just keep doing this, and she had endless amounts of people that would respond to her, pretending that they knew these people. Because we have this pressure to know it all. I, to, to be ignorant of something in our culture is a no-no. But when we keep the gospel central, one of the, the major parts of the gospel is that God has revealed his grace to us, his righteousness, his justice, his judgment, his mercy, his holiness. He has revealed these things to us, and we will spend our entire lives uncovering those truths. And so keeping the gospel central allows us the humility to say and acknowledge, 
Yeah, that's new to me. I didn't know that. Thanks for sharing that with me. It allows the, the, the church in Rome to read chapter 14 from, from this epistle and say, okay, yeah, the Apostle Paul's got a point. We can't elevate meat sacrifices and have it take place of the gospel. We can't elevate holy days and have it take place of the gospel. We will only receive the instruction that each other has if the gospel is central in our lives. If we're following this cultural, you got to know everything, it's game over. We, we won't be able to instruct one another because we won't receive that instruction. We'll pretend as if we don't need it or want it. So keeping the gospel central allows us to preach the gospel even to uh, fellow believers. Well, Paul is confident, though, not just in their knowledge. He's confident in their goodness. He says that in verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of, he doesn't start with knowledge, he says you yourselves are full of goodness. It's not just an intellectual, yeah, you guys are getting it, you're starting to figure it out, you're moving on, and, and you've crossed this threshold into you can now explain it to other people. He's confident of, yeah, you have received the gospel, and it's bearing fruit in your life, and I see that goodness in your life. That's the type of instruction that Paul is talking about, instructing one another in the gospel implications for our lives. That's what he did in Romans 14 when he said, you guys know the gospel. You know things about meat sacrificed to idols. You know things about holy days. Here are the implications that the gospel has for that. Here's how you live that out. I'm confident of your goodness not just your intellect. I'm confident that the gospel is bearing fruit in your lives, that the gospel is central in your lives and that enables you and allows you to both instruct and receive instruction in the grace of God when we keep the gospel central and let it permeate into every aspect of our lives. Your Friendship Church has a ministry called Acts of Friendship where we go and and we help with different yard work projects or small, uh, small construction projects. We, one of the first ones that I did, we, we helped with a barn that had caught on fire. And that was like a wake-up call to Minnesota. A guy from the Chicago suburbs, you know, walking around with a, a 12-year-old girl driving a bobcat with somebody up in it. Like, okay, yeah, not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> but on these projects, we, uh, we share the gospel. And, and sometimes people within the church request these projects. Professing believers request these projects. And you know what? We share the gospel with them, even though they're professing believers. And I can tell you, we have never shared the gospel with somebody who was a professing believer and had them get upset with us because they already knew it. Because it's good news every day. His mercy is new every morning. We need to be reminded of it. We need to hear it. And so we, we share the gospel and remind one another about the implications of Christ's life and death and resurrection. And if the professing believer receives it, we say, hey, look, 
we just shared the gospel with you in this way, with this wristband and this card and this Bible. Why don't you take it, since you know the gospel, and go do what we did with you and share it with somebody else? More instruction. We instruct one another when the gospel is central to all that we do. So share. Share with one another what God is doing in your life. Share about his grace at work. Share how the gospel is transforming you. Share with your family. Share with your life group. Share with our church. Again, come to the baptism. And if you haven't been baptized, share with us. Keeping the gospel central allows us to preach the gospel to fellow believers. Keeping the gospel central will also allow us to magnify the work of God that brings gospel fruit. This, they're all important, but this one's important, and especially important right now because it's the one we're talking about. This is what Paul does, though, in verses 17 through 19. Look at how he magnifies Jesus. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Paul saying, look at what Christ has done in me. I mean, Paul did a ton of missionary work. He went all over the place, planting churches all over the place, writing letters, establishing churches, strengthening churches, discipling individuals. And he goes on, and, and in other places he has a similar tone to this of, well, it obviously wasn't me that was doing it. It was Christ working through me. I'm not going to boast about anything that I've done. I'm not going to boast about my training. I'm not going to boast about my experiences. I'm not going to boast about my intellect. I'm not going to boast about my rhetorical skill. I'm not going to boast about my winsomeness. None of that's what accomplished the fulfilling of the gospel. It's Christ Jesus working in me. So when Paul keeps the gospel central in his life and he doesn't elevate himself or, or anything else in his life, he's able to genuinely magnify the work of God that brings gospel fruit. Verse 17, in Christ Jesus I have reason to boast. Nothing else. The power of the gospel is what Paul is putting on display here and magnifying here. Christ is the worker. We are the instruments. But God has ordained it in a way that our actions and our words still matter. This isn't a, okay, we're off the hook to do whatever we want because Christ is the one who does it. This is actually a call to be more in line with God's will. And to say, well, if Christ is going to work through me, I want to be available for that. And I want to do everything in my power to not hinder that work. And actually, I want to do everything in my power to be a part of that work because that's going to be a blessing to me and those around me. To be a part of what God is doing. I want my actions and my words to point others to Jesus so that others can see and hear Jesus accomplishing transformation within me. 
Keeping the gospel central allows us to magnify the work of God that brings gospel fruit. This is another one of those where it, it may take us more than just a passing thought to see how we're doing with this. It's really, really easy to say, to God be the glory, yeah. Those are really easy, those are small words, okay? Really easy words to say, to God be the glory. It's a totally different thing for our hearts to genuinely confess that, to genuinely believe that. I can't tell you how many times over the course of years in ministry work, I've heard people say, man, God is doing something right now in you. God is doing something here. And I've heard my lips say, yeah, to God be the glory, isn't he great? And at the same time, I've heard my heart say, wow, I'm doing pretty good. Oh, man, wow, oh, yeah. All that hard work is paying off. I never was counting how many times it happened, but if I were, I'm sure I would have lost count at this point. Does anybody else struggle with that? Is it just me? Paul is genuinely free to magnify God's work, not just with his lips, but in his heart, because the gospel is permeating all that he is doing. And, and he has renounced everything as he tells us elsewhere, he says, I consider it all rubbish, all my training, all my experience, everything that I had going for me, I consider that nothing compared to God's grace at work in me. And that's our call this morning is to align our hearts to that. To keep the gospel so central in our hearts, to see our dependence and our need for God and his grace at every moment of our lives so much that we can genuinely say, Yes, to God be the glory. He's the only one who's working. I boast in him alone and say that with hearts that mean it. Is what Paul is calling us to this morning. Keeping the gospel central and striving to walk in, the, in that grace. Not elevating ourselves, not elevating our education, not elevating anything other than Christ Jesus, keep him elevated and that will allow us to live this out. It allows us to magnify the work of God that brings gospel fruit. And finally, when we keep the gospel central, it, it allows us to participate in preaching the gospel to non-believers. Paul says that explicitly in verses 20 and 21. He says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Explicitly right there, Paul says his ambition is to make sure that those who don't know the gospel hear and receive the gospel. We'll make a few comments here, but let me just say it right up front. Paul had a very unique call from God. He was in a very unique position. He had a very clear go to the Gentiles and make sure that you start churches and, and make disciples of the Gentiles where, where they basically will become 
self-sufficient, and you've done the gospel work. You have planted churches among the Gentiles. And so, so for Paul to stick around at a church for, for years and years or decades was not his call. His call was not to, to necessarily be there to build the churches up. His call was to make sure that people were there to build those churches up. He didn't just forego and forget about the churches that he was planting, but he had a very clear call from God to go where Christ had not been named. Most of us don't have that call. Most of us do not have the call to go to a place where Christ has never been named and share the gospel. We can see that Paul had ministry partners like Apollos and Epaphrodites who, who did the work of ministry in particular churches of building that foundation within the churches. So Paul's not saying this is the only way. You've got to be somebody who's going uh, to places where people have never heard the gospel. But he is elevating it in a sense that says we're called to participate in sharing the gospel with non-believers. That starts with wherever we live. So for me, in my neighborhood, in my family, in my group of friends, at work, my call is to bring the message of Jesus Christ to those individuals who have not heard it. There are other people, and that's the call for all of us, there are other people who have been specifically called to go to areas uh, across the world where the name of Jesus has not been uh, named for salvation. Our call is to participate in that work. And Paul gives us a few ways that we participate in that work. One of those ways, Paul writes, is to provide financially. He puts it there in uh, verse 24. He tells the Roman church, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. That word for helped on my journey there by you was kind of a technical term for missionaries that meant we're going to give you all the stuff that you need, your food, your supplies, and everything to send you on your way to go and do the work of the ministry. So he's assuming financial support. Why? Because we're keeping the gospel central and we're partnering with one another in making sure that the gospel is named in places that it has never been shared or preached. So keeping the gospel central allows us to participate in preaching the gospel to non-believers. Here, where we are called to do it, and through financial support to missionaries, which our church does, we tithe 10% of all of our general contributions to support missionaries who are sharing the gospel in places where Jesus has not been named. But if you're keeping the gospel central and you begin to partner in sharing the gospel with the lost, I want to give you a warning. Okay? Warning. You ready? it just might disrupt your plans. And specifically for Paul, it just might disrupt your travel plans. Paul had longed and longed to go to Rome. Verse 22, This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. What's the reason that I have so often been hindered from coming to you? The gospel is central to my life and my call to preach the gospel has been central to my life. So therefore, I've been tied up with that work. And I love you guys, but sorry, that takes precedence over seeing you. 
And everybody wants to go to Rome. But now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, he's got these desires. He has these plans in his life that because the gospel is central, he has laid down for the sake of doing the work that God has called him to do. When the gospel is central, we are free to do that. We are free to die to those desires, to those plans. We are free to allow God to disrupt our lives like this. I hope to see you I love this in verse 24. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Yeah, I'm going to see you. I've been wanting to see you for a really long time. Uh, And it actually finally lines up where as I'm going to do more missionary work in Spain, I might pass by you, so I might actually get to see you. But he hasn't elevated his travel plans past his ministry. Oh, I finished the work over here, and now maybe in passing I'll get to see you and, and complete some work in Spain. But it works because you're on my way. Uh, not because I'm prioritizing the visit. Because the gospel is central, and keeping it central allows us to participate in sharing the gospel with non-believers. The other thing that Paul shows us, so he, he shows from the Roman church that he assumes some form of support in what he's doing. So Christians, where we are, we are sharing the gospel with non-believers, with, with those individuals in our lives who don't know the Lord. At the same time, we are partnering with individuals who are bringing the gospel to the furthest reaches of the earth. Friendship does this through uh, the missionaries that we support. And if you want to uh, support through prayer, I would encourage you to go to our website and go to the, the missionary page Click on who we support, and there's a host of people there that you can select one or two of them and just commit to fervently praying for them. The language Paul uses here to pray for him, he says here, I appeal to you, brothers, in verse 30, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Basically, pray for me as if you're praying for yourself because we're in the same battle, we're doing the same work. Pray for me the same way you would pray for yourself. Pray for our missionaries. It, it is not the only work that we're called to do in sharing the gospel, but it's an important work that we're called to do in sharing the gospel and especially in partnering to sharing the gospel with those who have never heard the name of Jesus. And keeping the gospel central allows us to participate in this. It allows us the joy of being a part of that. One of the best surprises about uh, starting to work here at Friendship was I get to sit on the mission board. Uh, We've got an awesome team on our mission board, but I get to hear story after story after story after story of what our missionaries are doing. And it is so encouraging to hear that and then in turn pray for them and be a part of what God is doing across the world. That's what we're called to do. And when we keep the gospel central, these things will happen. When we keep the gospel central, we are freed and it allows us to participate in preaching the gospel here and partnering in preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, when we accept this idea that our plans may get disrupted, we're going to need some hope to cling to. Because yes, Paul's travel plans and, and relational plans got disrupted, and, and 
we, we may, our travel plans may not get quite as disrupted, but if, if we're going to be faithful in sharing the gospel with our friends or our family or our coworkers, uh, our relationships might get disrupted. Our lives may get disrupted. God, God may call us out of a job into a new job. God may call us out of an area into a new area. Things may get disrupted in our lives if, if we want to keep the gospel central and allow these things to work themselves in us. And so we get a promise right at the end here in verse 33 where Paul says, May the God of peace, both the God who creates peace uh, between us, because of the gospel, but also the God who grants us internal peace. May the God of peace be with you all. May his presence be with you. And so as we keep the gospel central, no matter what the response we get, no matter how uh, jarring our lives become, we cling to the promise of God's presence with us. And Paul wants us to leave with that reminder that God is with us. That as we keep the gospel central and strive for these things, it may be difficult and we may face hardships, but the God of peace is with us in it. And so we can keep the gospel central with uh, certainty that God will provide for us as we try to answer and say yes to these things. Now we're going to keep the gospel central this morning as we transition into a time of communion and remembering what Jesus Christ has done. Lest we forget that this is not our own strength, it's not our own energy, it's not our own abilities that allows us to walk with the Lord and to keep the gospel central. It's Jesus Christ, it's what he has done for us on the cross. We remember this morning that none of this is possible if we don't know the Lord. None of this is possible if Jesus did not die for our sins and, and rise again. And we remember him at this time. Here at Friendship, we participate in communion uh, first and foremost as believers. So if you know Jesus, you are invited, uh, regardless of your church tradition, you are invited to engage in communion with us, to remember the Lord Jesus and what he's done for us. The other thing that we do is, is we, we take this time to reflect. We go before the Lord and say, God, are there ways that I've magnified myself and not your glory? Are there ways that the gospel has not been central in my life? Are there things I need to repent of because of that? And after we do that work with the Lord, then we're free to go and receive the elements for communion. The band will be playing a song while that's happening. And after this time of reflection and worship, when the song is over, Pastor Kenny's going to come up. He's going to lead us through the taking of communion.